Hello, and welcome to the Brick and Mortar Detroit podcast, where we discuss business, real estate, lifestyle, and travel. I'm your host, Eric Andrews, founder and owner of Brick and Mortar Detroit Real Estate Brokerage. I started this podcast for boots on the ground insights from not just one, but as many industry professionals that I could find. Today's guest is Nikki, Nikki Rini. Hey, Nikki, welcome, and thank you for coming on to the Brick and Mortar Detroit podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Eric, thank you for having me. Um, appreciate it. Um, I am a Detroiter and uh, local mortgage broker. I've uh, been in the mortgage in- industry for over five years. I've been involved with in the loan process from start to finish. So I've gotten to see a lot of different things in, on loans and I've leveraged that experience to to start my own business. And um, I've always kind of had a, a lot of passion about the city of Detroit ever since I worked there uh, when I started at Quicken Loans. So I'm um, excited to be back and um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, I've been following your social media and I can tell you're passionate not only about Detroit, but just about what you do. And I really like that. It's very fiery, you know, like I can just really tell that you like what you do. And so how long, um, how long have you been doing mortgages? So I started, uh, I got my feet wet at uh, Quicken Loans, as many people did, um, and started there in early 2016. I was there for almost two years and I worked exclusively on purchase loans there for that, for that entire two years. And so um, I have received a lot of good training actually on sales stuff and communication with um, realtors, et cetera. Uh, Left there and uh, started working at United Wholesale Mortgage, which is as far as uh, what you do in the loan process as a job was actually, I, I learned a lot more because I was involved with the entire loan process from start to finish. Whereas a loan officer at a retail bank, you know, they're going to take the application from the borrower, which these days is just texting somebody a link. You know, you don't even have to talk to somebody to take an application. And so at a retail bank, your loan officer is going to take the application. They're going to shoot it over to the underwriting or processing team. And that's, that's it. You know, they don't, they don't communicate about conditions for the most part. They're not setting up closings. They're not, they're not, fixing obstacles or issues that are popping up throughout the underwriting or closing process. Um, At United Wholesale Mortgage, I worked with, um, it's a wholesale mortgage company. So you yourself, you're not going to call United Wholesale Mortgage and get a loan. You're going to go through a broker who works with them. They're they're exclusively wholesale. So they leverage all their assets and and all their tools to, to help brokers. Um, and so I worked with mortgage brokers all over the country, um, California, um, Colorado, Florida, everywhere. And um, they were, you know, and I helped handle loans from the very beginning of the process, even into post-closing uh, a lot of the times. And I got to work with brokers who were set up as direct lenders. And I got to work with brokers who were set up just as a regular broker shop and get to see kind of the benefits and, and the pros and cons of, of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned a ton. I got to work on a, so much loan volume. Um, I got to work with shops that were specialty with VA. I closed over a thousand VA loans in my time there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I closed in still a lot of purchase loans, probably at least 750 purchase loans I closed in like a little over wow. four years. Wow. That's quite a bit. And, and you get to, and I'm working at them from start to finish. So you get to run into all the obstacles and see how to fix things. And mm-hmm. um, it, it was, a, and after doing that for a long enough, I was, I, I saw an opportunity to, to take what I had learned and help my community in an area that, that I care about. Mm. And um, I bought my own triplex down here first to test the waters. And yeah, good. <laughs> it's, been, it's been going well. It's been going well. So awesome. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit more about the process of mortgages? So, I mean, obviously I know on my side as a broker, as a realtor broker, kind of the process, but from A to Z, and it doesn't have to be like, I guess, too in-depth, what is the process on your end of um, producing a mortgage for someone? For sure, I can give you the uh, the um, spark notes of the uh, mortgage process. So, first, we got to take an application, and and hopefully, we're doing this before someone is looking at houses and, and under contract. I can't tell you, you know, how many times where people end up saying, oh no, we're just looking at stuff on Zillow. And then all of a sudden it turns into them putting in an offer in 24 hours and they haven't gotten their credit pulled yet. You know, They haven't submitted their pay stubs sometimes. And then, then you're running around you know, like a chicken with your head cut off to do this. Then, then they end up then they end up seeing what the taxes and insurance numbers coming in the payments. They're like, Oh, you know, it's a little tight. So the, the thing I'm stressing here is for people, it's never too soon to, to check this take because most mortgage brokers are going to be able to even do a soft pull on your credit. Right. So we're not going to do a hard pull, shoot them over your last 30 days of pay stubs. So they'll be able to see 60 to 90 days ahead of time of you wanting to do it of where you're going to be, you know, they know, so giving yourself a head start, number one, um, we're going to take your, we're going to review your pay stubs, your income. That's how, that's one of the biggest three things to make sure you're qualified. Number two is going to be your credit. Um, and these are all three of these are kind of separate. If you, you can't just have two of the three or, oh, my income's really good. So it makes up for my credit, not qualifying. That's not how it works. Gotcha. Um, so each piece has to qualify. We have to have our income. We have to have our credit and then we got to have our, our, if it's a purchase loan, our form of down payment, whether that's down payment assistance, whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, coming from a checking account, it can be a gift. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, once your loan officer takes all that information and you find a property, they're going to meet up with a realtor like you, right? And Mm -hmm. go out, look at houses, they're going to put in offers. Um, when they're putting in offers, maybe they're letting their loan officer uh, know, getting updated numbers on the property. Um, you know, uh, n- once you put your offer in, gets accepted, you're going to send over the purchase agreement. And from there, that's when the loan's going to get submitted to underwriting for, mm-hmm. for approval once they get a purchase agreement. Mm-hmm. And the lender will take depends where you're at two to five days to give you a conditional approval, they're going to call it. And there's going to be an approval saying, Hey, we're going to close your loan and give you this money, but we need uh, last year's W2, your bank statement had a couple large deposits on there. Explain those to us. Uh, They're going to need the new policy for the homeowner's insurance. They're going to need the title work. One of the big ones you will know the appraisal obviously is one of the big factors that we got to get in. Um, 
once all so not all the conditions are stuff that a borrower client has to give to the loan officer some of this stuff is coming from other third parties hazard insurance companies title insurance companies if it's a condo condo documents once all this stuff gets in the lender reviews that as long as everything's okie dokie they're going to get the loan uh the clear to close which everybody gets all pumped up about you know ctc yep so you have your pre you have your pre-underwriting process which your loan officers taking your application collecting your income documents your bank statements then we have the underwriting process where they're going to send all that stuff that they got from you to the lender for approval with some conditions and what could be a couple things the borrower has to give along with some third party items um, as long as that stuff comes back cool maybe you get all usually you know if, if you're really good and you got a clean loan you'll be able to give everything in one swoop and you'll get a clear to close sometimes if you got like a self-employed person and they own multiple properties that's where you'll submit your conditions underwriting comes back and says hey based off of what you gave us now we need X, Y, and Z, they got to go get that, get that in. Okay, now based on this, we actually need one more thing. And so those loans can take a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're, if you're, a, if you just got one job and you're paid W-2 and you got a checkings and savings account, your loan's going to be super easy. Mm-hmm. Um, once you submit everything and the lender approves it, we go to the closing process. That's where the numbers are going to get ironed out and mm-hmm. You're going to sign the closing documents, get the keys to your house. You're going to pay the money for, for the closing, you know, and. Um, it sounds like it's really not that hard of a process, to be honest with you. It's not, you know, things <laughs> like I said, the obstacles happen um, sure. and, and, you know, nothing goes or works perfectly smoothly all the time. And so <laughs> um, thing, things happen. You just have to know how to how to work through them. And, uh, you know, as long as you are checking the big three income as long as your income credit and form of down payment or assets are good before you get the loan into underwriting Mm. you know nine out of ten times you should be good you know the the one out of ten times something crazy with an appraisal happens or inspection somebody backs out Mm. what have you so what are a few ways that what are i guess options for people who want to use down payment so could it be a 401k? I mean, obviously you can use checking savings, but are there any other vehicles or maybe um, accounts that people can use or yeah. collateral, or whatever you want to call? Great question. Uh, any, anything anything that's your money, you know, you're going to be, so a 401k, sure, you can take money out of that and, and use it as a down payment on a house. You can actually use a gift from a family member, a hundred percent gift on conventional for sure on an FHA loan. Uh, it's just gotta be from a direct family member, but you can get a gift that covers the whole down payment. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you also have, you know, you can use proceeds from the sale of a property. So if you own a house, now you're selling that house, you're going to make 50 grand off that. You can use that as a down payment on your new house. Um, if you don't have a bunch of money saved up, it's also not the end of the world. Um, there are no money down loans like USDA. If you buy something out in a rural area, mm-hmm. there is also down payment assistance, right? Um, the state of Michigan has MHSDA, which is, uh, there are two different grants, a $7,500 grant and a $10,000 one. And then 
for example, one of the lenders that we're signed up with as a broker, they do down payment assistance on FHA and conventional that covers, um, you can choose wh whether you want it to just cover the down payment or whether you want it to cover the down payment and the closing costs. Mm -hmm. The thing about these down payment assistance stuff is they're going to have caveats. Um, like you can't make over X amount of money a year or you can't, um, or there'll be like a forgiveness period. You know, if you sell the house in less than five years, that has to get paid off as well, you know, from the sale, from the proceeds of the sale. So, you know, depending on what happens, the property value, you try to move out of there in 18 months, you know, you're, you're just not going to move out of there in 18 months if that's right. what you're you Gotcha. Know. So say for instance, you wanted to use a gift, do you know, is it a simple process? Is it just a letter? Like what would you require, I guess, on your end for that to be something that's- We draft up a, a letter that everybody signs agreeing to the amount of the gift and- um the who's going to be receiving it and then they're actually able to just uh write the easiest way to do it is have them give it as a cashier's check at closing to the title company mm. just mm. give it straight to the title company mm. don't have them give it from one person's bank account to the other Season because source. then what'll happen is the lenders got to ask okay well we need to see the bank statement showing the transfer and if there's any other deposits on that statement now gotcha. they're going to think about that stuff from the donor mm -hmm. the rabbit hole that is not needed to go down if they just provide the gift straight to the title company gotcha gotcha that's really great information because um, you're right a lot of questions are asked or arise just off of silly stuff that you didn't even think about on your deposit statement so one of the rule of thumbs that they teach in uh, mortgages and underwriting is that underwriters cannot unsee things so if you provide too much stuff and an underwriter sees it they can't be like oh i actually didn't need this so well, cover my eyes, you know. Right, so you can create some of your own problems. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. absolutely. Gotcha. absolutely. Give what you are asked for, then, and just yep. follow your instructions. And if you don't know, you know, a lot of these lenders, some of them are really good with, you know, you can call them before. Hey, you know, I'm about to upload this. Is this all I need? Mm. Um, so it's just it's just making sure that you're communicating, and um, that that helps avoid a, a, a lot of obstacles that you're going to come across for sure. Gotcha, gotcha. So I kind of have um, a two-part question, but I'm going to ask that next. This one's probably one you can answer pretty quickly. So on average, how long does it take for the average person to get a pre-approval? If they get you all the documents that you need and there's not a lot of hesitation between or a time that elapses between. Oh, like 30 minutes. Not yeah, it doesn't take long at all, does it? Okay. Yeah, I can text. I have, a, I have a link. I'll text them the link. They'll fill it out. If you're in, if you're serious about going and look, they want to go, if they're like, Hey, Eric, we want to go look at a house with you right now. I'm, mm. I'm pulling their credit, mm. their hard pull. They're mm. going to send me over their pay stub. Sometimes I can even verify income electronically. If they work at like a big company and they've mm. been there for a year or two. We can pull it through Equifax. Got it. Um, it but we pull that. They send over pay stubs. I, once it, it takes about 15 to 30 minutes, how we pre-approve someone is, and it's the same thing everybody's got to run. It's called the automated underwriting software. Mm -hmm. And so there's two, there's Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And they're the two kind of government sponsored company, companies that back mortgages. Right. And they set all the rules. They're the ones who say, hey, your income has to be this. You know, we have to calculate your debts like this. And they, they securitize the mortgages after uh, closing. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. And so we put together this loan and then we have to run that application through this automated underwriting software. And it will think for a couple minutes and then it will come back and say, Hey, this guy's good to go. Or it will, it will deny them. And sometimes if you like barely meet each of the, if you're barely there with credit and you're mm -hmm. barely there with income and you're barely there with down payment, sometimes it won't approve you, even mm -hmm. though you're barely there for all three. Really risky. It's important. It's important when you're getting out there house hunting to make sure that you got everything over and you have, you, you know, you can even ask your LO, you know, Hey, did you guys run the automated underwriting software on this? Do you know, we're good, you know, if we're close. And as an agent, if you're working with buyers or if you're, if you got listings, you can ask them, you know, Hey, can you provide me with the Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac approval? Mm -hmm. Um, because that means that they ran that loan through the automated underwriting system mm. based off of that bar, how, what they calculate that borrower's income and um, banks, bank accounts as. And uh, that makes it a lot more solid. You know, if that's approved, you know, unless there's something wrong in there, um, you shouldn't, you really shouldn't be running into any issues later mm. on in the process. And what would you say is one of the most popular reasons for people getting denied? Uh, I would say, I would say credit if you're, and it's not just credit score. It's not just credit score. It's credit history. Do you have credit history? Um, are you really high you know, if, if you have two credit cards and they're both a thousand dollar limit and each of them is at 950 bucks, you know, mm -hmm. it might not approve you. Um, gotcha. and, and like I was saying, if you're, if you're like bare bones meeting each category, um, that's where it might, it, it might not, you know, if you're, if you're so minimum credit is going to be 640 that you mm -hmm. need, you know, so if you got a 640 something credit and your debt to what, what they, when I say you, you need enough income, mm -hmm. they're going to take how much money you make. And then we're going to look at what your monthly payments are. Mm -hmm. And they don't count like a cable bill or a phone bill, but they're going to look at your car notes stuff that pulls up on your credit card, you know, mm -hmm. your, um, any credit cards that you're going to have a big one is student loans. So student loans can be a reason that people don't qualify. My next uh, question. <laughs> they did just, um, loosen up how they allow us to calculate what we have to hit you for in a monthly debt for your student loan. So it used to be 1% of whatever you owed a month. So let's say that you had $50,000 in student loans. 1% of that is $500. So that yes. means that I had to market as you paid $500 a month for your student loans, which can be a big hit when you're trying sure. to qualify for a house. You know, it's sure. bigger than a car payment, a credit card, pretty much anything else. Um, now they're allowing you to do a half of a percent. Mm -hmm. So that's $250 a month. If that's you substantial. Yeah. So get, they, they are giving some more leeway with the student loans. Another thing you can do if you're really close with the student loans is you can get on an income-based repayment plan, they call them. And so they'll, you know, based off of how much money you make, the lender will give you usually a much lower payment. Once you get on that plan, you can send over the agreement to your lender and they're able to use the terms of the income-based repayment plan. Very good, very good. That's really, really um, helpful. And I think a lot of people are having a student loan issue right now. Um, so thank you so much for answering that question so uh, thoroughly. Um, so 
as far as COVID goes, what has been the biggest change that you've noticed in, you know, your five, six years of doing this? Um, it, from a mortgage perspective, you're saying? Yes. Um, the, you know, the, everybody pretty much having to adapt to doing things in an electronic form, you know, like we're doing this meeting over zoom. Um, you know, like I'm saying, when people are doing an application, they're, they're texting over a link for you to, for, for you to do your mortgage application, just the, it kind of the technology was going to change every industry pretty quickly here over the next 10 years and 20 years. But I think that this sped it up double gotcha. uh, and you know it also i would say that and then how it affected the supply chain for everything mm. you know i'm sure that you've you've noticed it as well uh yeah. with the competitive the competitiveness even even right now and even right now in february it's crazy i was at an i was at an open house in st Clair shores last week and a uh, house was listed for 225 and that was on a Wednesday from four to six. There's probably like 70 people that came through, you know? Wow. 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 Yeah. I was at one on Saturday. Well, it was actually right after the open house and people were still coming. My appointment was at like four thirty, five o'clock. People were still coming next day, highest and best. I mean, it's just constant. You better get in and be serious. You better be pre-approved. And actually, before I even skip to my next question can you help explain the difference between a pre-qualification and a pre-approval oh yeah i would love to answer that <laughs> please question. help us all <laughs> so a pre-qualification is have you ever got something in the mail from a credit card company saying you're pre-qualified for a five thousand dollar credit card or whatever yes pre-qualification means nothing you know <laughs> so exactly. you you know uh if you have a credit card how uh, on your monthly statement it will show you like your credit score or if you yeah. log into your like monthly account it will show mm -hmm. you like hey check your see what your credit score is yes so they're they are monitoring your credit via a, it's like a soft pull okay so credit scores it's a don't i'll go on a whole rant about this i hate the way that this is all set up but we can't choose the way that this is set up right sure. so we have to we have to learn it and right. and, and leverage what we know to sure. take advantage of it the best you can absolutely and there's all different kinds of credit score models, right? So when you're looking at your credit score to just look at it, they have a different model that they use to calculate your score versus when you go to get a credit card versus when you go to get a car loan versus when you go to get a house. They use like a little different algorithm to come up with a score for each different thing. Gotcha. And so they're telling you, hey, based off of this soft pull that is not truly your score and they're not reviewing your pay stubs or bank statements just based off of this estimate of your credit score you're qualified for this you know so a pre-qualification is is usually an advertisement trying to get you to to call somebody a pre-approval is when you as a borrower have spoken to a loan officer they have pulled your credit you have provided your pay stubs or if you're self-employed your tax returns um and preferably already provided your bank statements but sometimes you know if you know that you know it's a checkings and savings and sure. they got 50 grand in there it's that's that's simple you know you can that's pretty good <laughs> um, but for the most part you 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 want those items uh, ahead of time once they've once they've reviewed those items and the the big thing like i was saying before running that automated underwriting software is a big one for me 
um, because I've seen, I've just, I've had heartbreaking um, times where I've been sitting there rerunning it, you know, and then, you know, I've had it where, so an example of what a bad thing that can happen from not running the automated underwriting software, let's say you're tight with your income and down payment, but you're, mm-hmm. you think you're kind of close. You end up not getting it approved at 5% down, but you're already offer accepted and you're past your inspection period. And so now you're sitting there, this loan's not approved at the down payment that the borrower thought. And now you might, let's say you got to do an extra 5% down to get the loan approved. And now they got to scramble and try to find a gift from somebody um, or or they're, they're looking to take money out of a 401k that they want to um, because they didn't take the time before and they rushed. Yeah. Um, so, So many people, I think, for some reason, and I even, I guess, feel like this when I'm a buyer in a different industry is that people think that they get like an advantage by like hiding something or not, yeah. not showing their hand. You're right. But in the mortgage process, it is the complete opposite. You need, you, but, and you need to understand that your loan officer is like your poker partner or your euchre partner. You know, they need to be in on your hand with you. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to be your PIC, mm-hmm. not somebody that you're trying to hide your cards from. Right. Because, exactly. because eventually that's going to be, everything's going to, the chickens will come to roost at some point of the process. Yeah. And, um, it's a, it's a bad time for everybody. And it um, can be at the closing table, can it? You, you know, you're sitting there, you're thinking everything's good, but you did something or, I mean, you know, something changes. Hopefully, just hope, pray to you know, <laughs> knock on wood. No, but. You know, things don't quit your job, people, or don't change your job in the mortgage mm-hmm. process, please, mm-hmm. um, because they do a verbal verification of employment at closing. They call mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. boss or your, mm-hmm. the place that you said you worked when you started the loan, and they're going to confirm mm-hmm. you're still there, mm-hmm. you know. So I, that's really the big way that loans get messed up at, at closing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely want to make sure you got everything over before. Tell your loan officer the whole plan you know, and give yourself a couple months ahead of time because your credit, when you get your credit pulled with your loan officer, it's good for 90 days, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to get an offer accepted and get the loan into underwriting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 30, I would say, you know, about a month before you want to think about going and looking at houses is the time to get everything over, run a budget, you know, because the big thing, the big thing I noticed, and especially lately, too, is that people will get pre-approved for a lot more than what their budget actually is. Mm-hmm. So people will get pre-approved for example, let's, I just had a guy and he got pre-approved for 260 mm-hmm. and the monthly payment for $260,000 house at three and a half or 5% down was going to be over $1,800, $1,800 to $2,000, depending on the city, the taxes, mm-hmm. you know, um, and he didn't want to spend more than 1600 bucks a month. And so he probably, and I probably could have even got him approved up to 275, but we just ran it at 260 first, but that was actually $200 a month higher than what he wanted to pay. So even though he was pre-approved for 260, his real budget was is about 225, 230. So that's another big thing that you got to think about, you know, before you're putting in offers. It's not the price that you need to be concerned about. It's the monthly payment and how much money is coming out of your pocket at the day of closing. Yes, absolutely. And so since we talked about, you know, leaving your job is a big one, big one, but what about other ones like um, credit wise and other things that can really actually ruin the deal? 
big no-nos, big no-nos don't open it or close any credit. So if you're in the mortgage process, don't close any credit cards unless your loan officer or mortgage advisor is telling you to. Um, another big one, you know, that, you know, and it's not something that is anybody's fault, but it's the appraisal, right? So appraisals come in low, mm. you know, or sometimes there could be, you know, health and safety hazards with the property. Um, you know, uh, a big thing I saw a lot last summer that I'm not a big fan of is those appraisal guarantees. You know, those don't give me the warm and fuzzies um, with like that people are doing the right thing for sure. buyers. You know, um, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a rich. I don't like to. I don't consider myself like a rich person. You know, sure. so somebody to, I, you know, in California last year, like I said, I did loans all over the country. People were doing twenty five thousand dollar appraisal guarantees yeah you know to, to get a property and i'm just if, if that's if, if, if you got to do that to get a property if you got the money to do that hey more power to you but sure. don't do not do it do not do it be it's more not good i just don't see it being good at all you know it's just like you be, end up underwater like that be more strategic with buying a property but look in this look in a city nearby that maybe isn't the perfect little picket fence mm -hmm. cul-de-sac that you wanted mm -hmm. but it's still mm -hmm. in the in a nearby area you know maybe look at a multi-family property versus a single family property you're going to see a lot of times those are going to be on the market a little bit longer um mm -hmm. you have you know you can use the 203k or re rehabilitation loans or you can get a property that needs some work but the lender actually funds the the reconstruction right and then right. and then you're and then you're creating equity you know it just takes a little you're just not going to buy the house and start sleeping in it that exactly time. exactly um, you know there's a little work the big there's so many options out there you know so just i don't people i think get so and we've all been trained so good to be good consumers in this society you know mm -hmm. and so um everybody wants that like picture perfect like first dream home but sure from my experience you know i bought my first house in january 2020 thought i was going to live there for three to five years i bought it in royal oak you know right at 13 in woodward sure. uh, doing really well at uwm at the time and i sold that house in a year flat wow, yeah. wow. so um you're not that first home you're probably not going to have for you know 10 years 20 years so no. things gotta, change very quickly sometimes be strategic with it absolutely you know? so what you what got you into mortgages um i was uh out of out of high school did a little bit of college but was starting to understand that i probably that probably wasn't it for me mm -hmm. um and i start i just wanted to get into sales of some kind and i had worked at um I was actually doing door-to-door -door sales for like Xfinity at the time. That was pretty interesting. Learned a lot. Uh, had a had a, like a cool a cool team that I worked with there. But um, I had a friend who was who was working at Quicken Loans, and uh, you know him he he was all pumped up about working in downtown Detroit, you know, and uh, you know was making a little bit of real coin and being like eighteen or nineteen years old. That's an exciting prospect, you know, sure. and. Um, so I, I, I went down there and I am a competitive person. And so I usually do well in a sales environment. Ah, very nice. Very nice. And so when it comes to mortgages, what is the biggest misconception that you've seen people make or that you think people make? The biggest misconception in mortgages, uh, mm -hmm. I think that people 
and I understand it because sometimes if I think I like, you know, if you think you mess something up and there's somebody reaching out to you about, if you think that you don't qualify, mm. you won't even try, mm. you know, you're like, oh, there's no way, you know, I know my credit's messed up, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I just, I just got this job. I for sure can't do it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't check, you don't. And I think so many people are so much closer to being able to buy a home versus being in the position that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I think the reason people don't realize it is because nobody teaches us this stuff, but it's just a numbers thing, right? No. If you, let's say average rent for one bedroom, one bathroom right now, probably in the state of Michigan is right around a thousand bucks a month, would you say? Fair to, fair to say? Probably. I haven't done leasing in a while, but even when I was doing it, you know, I was doing luxury properties, but we were already 800 to 1,000. So I can't see why I wouldn't. Be. Yeah. And if you're, if you're two bedrooms in more than one, you know, bathroom, you're oh, probably yeah. between 12 and 1500 a month sure. right now. Sure. So based off of that one year of renting in the state of Michigan is going to cost you between 12 and $18,000. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That means in three years, that's thirty-six or fifty-four thousand dollars that you're going to spend. Quite a bit of money. You can get into a house with no money down here. You know there are down payment assistance programs, or even minimum if you got really good credit. You know you can get into a house minimum down three percent. First-time home buyer on a two hundred thousand dollars house that's six grand. You can get a credit usually from a lender to help cover the closing costs if you have good credit from the interest rate. Maybe if you have a good real estate agent, you can put in a full price offer, maybe get them to throw you 1500 towards costs mm-hmm. and you're getting into a house for just six grand on a $200,000 house, you know? Yeah. Um, so there, there are ways to, to lower those upfront costs greatly. And so $6,000 to get into a $200,000 house, that's less, that's, that's six months of renting, mm-hmm. you know? So you're not, if you're renting and spending a thousand bucks a month, you're six months of rent away from being able to buy a house, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. absolutely. And realistically, I, even if you're going to use down payment assistance to cover the down payment, I still like to think like, I wouldn't want to buy a house and have less than, you know, five grand or 7,500 bucks chilling, you know, in sure. case something happened. But um yeah, you don't got to have, you know, $20,000, $30,000 saved up, you know, you don't got to make $100,000 a year. You know, if you, if you got a job or some source of income, if you're disabled, you know, whatever it is, reach out to a mortgage person. It doesn't hurt to ask. Absolutely. And I would say that's, I actually just had a lady on Saturday and it's like, you don't know until you know, right? If it's about the hard pool on your credit, I can totally understand that. But if you don't really care too much, then just find out if you're, you know, qualified or figure out in the meantime, what you need to be doing to be qualified in the future. You know, that's, that's just like something that you can do that will make your life a little easier. And with with the hard pull, what I do too, and when people are, oh, well, I'm not, we're not close to doing that. I got some people who are moving from California to Michigan, they're doing it in June. Mm -hmm. And um, so I did you can do a soft pull that doesn't affect the score. I can still see all the trade lines though. So I can put that in the loan and I can calculate their debt to income ratios. I'm not going to be able to run that automated underwriting system that system that for sure tells me, but I'll be able to have a really good idea if though, if you're going to qualify or not. Mm. And if you're going to be close, that's when I'll say, Hey, before you start even going or looking, you know, that I need to pull we need to pull your credit because you're going to be tight, Mm. you know? But if I, but if I look at it and see you got no monthly debt and you make 150 grand a year and you're only trying to buy, you know, $200,000 house, 
you're going to be fine. You know, exactly, exactly. And so it sounds like, I mean, you just got into your own new home as well. And so it's a triplex in Detroit. Tell me about that. We're house hacking here. So I'm definitely interested in talking more about that. For sure. Um, so like I was saying, I actually bought my first house uh, fast forward or rewind a year prior to that. Um, I think it's something that I, I notice a lot of people, you know, buying a house for the first time. It's usually a time when they first started getting some good money, you know, and you start looking at houses and you're starting and you're looking at other things too while you're looking at houses right? you're looking at furniture you're looking at all this stuff and you're like you get super excited you know <laughs> yeah, and you, um, you get it's 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 an exciting time and uh it's why i like doing it because you get to like guide people through it's, it's fun but it is, um, it is you don't think about it as strategic and like i said we've been trained in this uh society to be consumers sure. you know sure and so you, I, I was looking at the home buying process through my consumer lens. I just first started making some real money and I, you know, I was working in Pontiac, so I just wanted something convenient and, you know, I'm no Bob, the, I'm not a Bob the builder type. So <laughs> I was like, I can afford a rehab, I know a completely remodel. I'm good. You know, so I got a brand new, you know, everything completely redone and, um, I got a decent deal on it, but, um, a year goes by, COVID happens, you know, I was working in the corporate machine of America, you know, I was working at the number two uh, mortgage lender in the entire country. So it's one of the biggest mortgage companies in the country. Sure. And uh, I learned a lot working with um, brokers there. And one of the coolest things I think that I learned was seeing the impact that these people had on their community. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I got to see they're like, oh, you know, I just helped my best friend buy a house over here on this golf course. You know, I'm I'm helping my cousin, you know, buy a house for the first time and we fixed their credit. And I was, you know, I was helping people I didn't know, you know, and so sure. I was like, it would be cool to to be able to to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I but. I to, to leave and become a broker, you know, I was going to be leaving my cushy job where at the time I, I was making some really good money. Sure. And uh, so I started to think about how can I cut my costs? You know, I'm not going to be able to spend all the money a month that I was, that I was spending. And so the, the biggest cost you have is your housing expense, right? You know, Absolutely. my a big thing people will know about right now is my taxes got reassessed after I had bought my house. I just hit the one year, yeah, right? <laughs> my payment went from 1430 to 16, like 20 something, you know, my payment went up almost 200 bucks a month. It's a lot. And so I'm like my pay, you know, I'm paying 1600 bucks a month to live by myself. Um, so I was thinking of ways to lower that. I tried the roommate thing when I first bought my house, I just turned 30 years old. I'm over that, you know, not, not doing, not totally, feel you. totally feel you. that was not an option. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about, I had some good money saved. I thought about buying an investment property to okay. rent out to some other friends. Um, but you buy an investment property, you got to do 20% down minimum. And if you do 20% down, you're going to pay a lot for the race. So you'd probably rather do 25% down. Sure. You're, you're, that means you're going to buy a hundred thousand dollar house, you're going to spend 25 grand. So yes. you're limited with the kind of property you're going to be able to buy. And 
in the area you're going to be able to buy in. So I'm like, sure, maybe I have somebody now that I could rent it out to immediately, but after they don't want to rent there, am I going to be able to rent out in that area? Is rent going to be increasing in that area, you know, and to have to put such a big investment in. So I was going to buy a hundred thousand dollar house, 25% down 25 grand. Sure. Then there's a couple guys with the COVID um, I'm sure you noticed a lot of people started looking at investing and, um, and, and kind of, looking at different ways to make money. And so I joined a couple of these investment groups and real estate groups. And there's a lot of guys talking about house hacking. And it's a, it's a technique where to get into real estate investing instead of buying. So if you're going to buy a property that you're not going to live in yourself, you got to do 20% down. But if you buy a property, you're going to live in, even if it's a multi-unit, you can utilize an FHA loan to do three and a half percent down on a three or four unit property. If you're a veteran, you can utilize your VA benefits to buy a house that you're going to live in zero percent down up to four units, your first house. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you're not going to see a lot of multifamily out in rural areas, but USDA as well. Um, and uh, there's another loan program called NACA that's no money down and like character based lending. You got to go through quite a bit. Rates are a little higher, but you know, if you don't qualify for any of the other stuff, no money down, you can get a multi-unit property. It's better than renting. You know, you be the landlord instead of having one. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Or at least you're partnering with your friends. You know, if you're not going to be like, be a landlord to a random person, partnering with your friends to strategically get into, into a home yeah. to, to help you both, you know, um, which is ended up being what I did. And so, you know, instead of living in Royal Oak by myself, and instead of buying an investment property, because it would have cost me a bunch of money, I was able to buy a triplex in the city, downtown, good area um, for, it was right around $400,000. But because I only had to do three and a half percent down, I got that for less than $20,000. Sure, you know, um, versus buying a $100,000 house for 25 grand. You know, now you have an asset that's worth $400,000 gaining equity versus an asset that's $100,000 gaining equity. Sure. Um, so you, you, with you, with my payment and what I was able to rent the other unit out for, I'm living, I'm, I'm able to live for around half of what I was living for in Royal Oak. You know, I cut my living expense in half. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And so my, with, with starting my own business and wanting to, uh, wanting to try to help my community more. I understood that there wasn't guaranteed income and I tried to lower my, my housing expense by purchasing this triplex here. And um, it's something that if you look at the numbers over time, so if you, I, like I said, cut my living expense in half, save 800 bucks a month. Over 12 months, that's $9,600 that you're gonna save. Yes, and in three years, you're going to save over $25,000 if you purchase a multifamily and your first home versus the single family. You can use that savings on a down payment for another property. Then that second one, you can buy that single family. Now you're renting out all the units in the multifamily that's helping pay for the home you're living in. Or if you're really trying to get into real estate investing, you can rinse and repeat with the multifamilies three or four times. Absolutely. And you only have to live in the property for a year as your primary. So you live in each property for, you know, a year, three years, five years, however, however much time it takes you to save up for that next. Sure. sure. No, I'm totally, I'm totally for that. I actually have a duplex here myself and um, it's just, I don't know, it gets rid of expenses. It's, it's works for me. And 
I just sometimes struggle with the idea of having a large house paying X amount of dollars for it. And it doesn't really do anything except house me. And I could actually either make money or save money by getting a multifamily. I really don't need a lot of space, you know, and, and maintaining a lot of space can sometimes be difficult. So I definitely agree. House hacking is the next big thing, I think. No, especially, <laughs> especially with, with rates increasing, which is just a, a reality of the situation. And historically, rates are still super low, not the end sure. of the world. Sure. But it is going to make house is a little more expensive. And then you're going to see home values continue to climb, I believe, over the next few years. Will it, will it do it as rapidly? I hope not. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, actually, as a homeowner, I do. But right, exactly. You know, for, for people buying homes, I hope they get a little reprieve. But yeah, with both yeah. of those things ticking up, a way to help combat that is, you know, to just look at it slightly more strategically, maybe get a multifamily for that first two, don't stretch yourself out as much. And then on that second or third home, and like I was saying earlier, that first home, you're not going to live in it from forever anyways. No. So, you know, why not, you know, if you're, and especially the first home you're buying, probably going to be under 30, 35. So I, you know, I had the tenants before I purchased the home. It was a really good friend of mine and, and his girlfriend, you know, mm -hmm. and I, like, we were like looking and like, I was having him help and send me houses on Zillow. You know, I was like, sure. let's find a place that we're all going to like, you know, Absolutely. and, um, it's a win for everybody. It is. You know? So you, you're able to help your friends and family. You're, you're putting yourself in a good position in the future. There's really um, no, no bad, especially if you, especially if you're in a position where you don't have kids and you don't, like you're saying, you don't need the bunch of room. You don't need this giant house. You know, it's a, you're able to leverage your capital in this when you're buying it as a primary as a residence versus the investment property, you know? Oh yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, um, like I said, I renovated both of the, um, both of the units and it was just, like you said, if you want to live with friends or anything like that, it just, it's, I, I don't see why more people aren't doing it because you can trust the people that you live with. You guys can do a garden in the back if you want, or, you know, have game night or basically everybody's congregating in one area. And then say, for instance, another group of friends buys a duplex, next door or whatever it may be. Next thing you know, you're building community. And so, you know, you guys can take control of the equity and take control of the block and everything all like kind of at one time and just kind of enjoy your surroundings and live a life where things are affordable because, you know, things are actually kind of seeming like they're not gonna be so affordable for so long. But you actually kind of touched on the subject that I was going to bring up anyway. I'm hearing that rates are supposed to go up about seven times this year. Um, what do you think about that? Is that correct? Or do you have any thoughts on that? Um, so I, uh, I, rates are going up. They have to, you know, during COVID, they had rates at zero. Yeah. You can't, you can't, impossible <laughs> to keep it at that. And that's why, that's why in the most recent uh, consumer price index, inflation was at seven and a half percent because they were giving away free money for a year and a half. They're pumping free money into everybody's pop pockets. They were pumping free money into the stock market and they had the borrowing rates at zero. Mm. You know, the, it, it was, it had to change. Sure. And so it's, it's not, it's okay. It has to happen, but it is going to make, so example on a $200,000 loan amount, if the rate is going up a quarter of a percent, 
it affects the payment by about $35 a month. Gotcha. So even if rates go up a whole percent over the next year and they raise rates four or five times, um, it, that, it, that's gonna, that means that that $200,000 loan amount is now $135 more a month. Sure. So it's, is it the end of the world? No, but for people who were like super tight and they were out looking at houses right now, what you were approved for 30 days ago versus now is different. Gotcha. It gotcha. can affect. So to, and to explain that a little deeper, the reason why is because let's say that 30 days ago or 40 days ago, you got pre-approved. When they pre-approve you, your loan officer or lender, they select a loan product in an interest rate and a payment and a cost for that interest rate. So let's say they selected a 3.5%. And at the time, that 3.5% actually didn't cost you anything. That was par. So now, 45 days later, that 3.5% would cost $2,800, let's say. So if you don't have 2,800 extra dollars, we have, they have to go and raise your rate. So now they go in there and they have to go from a 3.5 to a 3.99 because you don't, you don't, you don't want to pay the, the points for the interest rate. And that's what they call points. And so now you go at that higher rate. If you were tight with your income ratios at the higher rate, higher monthly payment, you don't qualify or now they got to go lower on the payment or I mean, lower on the approval amount because you know, the, the payment ticked up, so it can just change things a little bit. Um, and that's why if you're going to buy this year, sooner the better, you know, yes. there's going to be, there's going to be ebbs and flows of the market where you'll get short terms where I think, you know, you'll see it get a little bit better, but I think that overall long-term, you're just going to see it slightly go up and up. And so, and at the end of the day, as someone buying a house, especially if it's your first house, Instead of worrying about what the rate's going to be, worry about your payment and what's going to come out of your pocket at the end sure. of the day. Sure. As long as you keep those figures comfortable, you're going to be okay. You know, Absolutely. and the rate, what the rate is, is, is not that important, you know? Yeah. 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 And I, I agree. The sooner, the better. And I, I'm telling all my clients that, especially right now, January, February, March rolls around. It's going to be crazy. It's already crazy. So rates, prices demand hopefully we'll get more inventory but the sooner the better if you can get into the market now ish and try to like you know at least get your bearings get your feet wet and kind of get an idea of what you're dealing with and see if you even want to deal with it you know um that would be probably pretty good for you so sooner the better the time is of the essence and so as well, far as oh yeah go ahead please I'll just sneak it in there that, you know, if you're going to do it now, you know, versus if you had to do it, if you're going to rush yourself later in the year, maybe now you can buy a house that you got to paint a couple of rooms and fix a couple of things because you have time sure. and then you can get a better deal. You don't got to buy a house that's going to have multiple offers and over asking, asking exactly. for appraisal guarantees or waiving inspections, you know, Absolutely. Um, be, be a little more open-minded and strategic when thinking about the property you're going to buy this year and you'll be all right. It is. It is. Is you can't just always have exactly what you want. I mean, you can sometimes, but doing a little work will give you more options and being flexible. Like you said, if paint or just little basic things that maybe it's not pristine, but it can be. If you have to do a little work, you can create the things that you want. You can create yeah, the things. It's not hard. You want. It's not hard at all. And so, okay. So, how would you recommend um, 
beginners get started for house hacking? Any thoughts or advice or guidance? Beginner or- house hacking, yeah. Um, follow me on Instagram, uh, Mortgage Science Detroit. So you'll notice I post videos all the time where I look up, I'm constantly looking at multifamily listings in Detroit in the Metro Detroit area and running the numbers on them. Um, I, I'll teach you how to do that, you know, for, for nothing. Um, but you can, you just go, there's a tool called Rentimeter. You can go look up the average rent uh, for a, for, from a, you know, one mile radius within this address. Mm. You look and see what the average rent is for however many bedrooms and bathrooms each unit of the property is. You then are gonna look and see what the down payment would be and seeing if you have that, or, you know, you can use down payment assistance even on these multi-units, but you still got to have some money saved up to, to get into a property. So, you know, talking, the, the, the biggest advice I have is follow someone like myself on social media, who's posting content about this stuff. And, and you can look it up too. go look up house hacking on yes. Google, on on Instagram. Um, there's a, there's a good account. I'll give this. I learned a ton from this guy, Mark, uh, his Instagram is at live and rent free. He's a realtor in Los Angeles and, um, constantly talks about house hacking. He owns multiple multi-units out there and I'll get a good tale about one of his multi-units. He bought a multi-unit in Inglewood, California, five years ago. He bought it for like, 400 and some thousand, which sounds like a lot, but in LA it's not. So it needed a little work, needed a little love. Well, he did it for a year. And then guess what they built? They built SoFi Stadium where they just had the Super Bowl. And so he owns a multi-unit right by SoFi Stadium. It's like doubled, it's like doubled in value, you know, and it's better than, you know, it's a, it's a safer investment than stocks or or anything like that, especially right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So would you say you're special, you're specializing in multifamilies as well? Um, Is that something we can say? I don't, I don't, I guess I don't want to say I specialize in that. Mm -hmm. I specialize in all types of, of, you know, home financing and commercial stuff. However, I'm passionate about pushing people towards, you know, you hear so many people talking about, I, I want to be able to work for myself. I want to have more freedom. If you want to have more freedom, house hacking is the best way to do it because you will be less reliable on having to sell your time for money. If you have to constantly sell 40 hours a week of your time, you're going to be doing that until you're 65 or 70 or, and, and that, and if socials and you're, betting on social security being around, right. et cetera, versus like I say, if you're saving 500 to $700 a month by house hacking, you're saving 6,000 to $10,000 a year, you know, multiply that times 30 years. How many people have an extra $300,000? Not very many, you Substantial. know, and so by sacrificing a little time and thinking about home ownership, uh, I think of house hacking is it's, it's thinking of home ownership as an asset versus as a place to live. Mm. And a lot of people, it's just because, and it's how we've been trained, you know, sure. but just been, sure. everyone's been trained, most of us at least, you know, buy the picket fence house and the cul-de-sac with the nice stuff, get the new iPhone with the new shoes. And um, if you want to have more freedom, that's, you got to, we got to break free of those things. And Absolutely. this is one of the big ways. Absolutely. I totally agree. I totally agree. I think that you've really highlighted some great information. And I would just say, you know, for anyone who's not ready, just start spending your time educating yourself. Google is your friend. Mm-hmm. YouTube is your friend. Follow Nikki. Follow me. Follow Mark. Did you say his name was? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Living rent free. Um, 
there's, there's a page called like house hacking success on yeah. Instagram. Um, yes. but like you said, Google is your friend, you know, reach out, reach out and shoot people. I, you know how I met Mark and I'll, I'm just asking people questions and comments and direct mm-hmm. messages. Yeah. You got to shoot, you got to shoot your shot. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna come over to you and say, Hey, do you want to learn how to invest <laughs> in real estate? Or do you want to learn house hacking? Right. You know, exactly. But if you ask, you'll be surprised. I feel like it, um, how people are willing to, to try and help. Absolutely. Yeah. People are passionate about helping at least the people that are providing this type of information. I'm passionate about bringing people to Detroit and bringing population here, rebuilding our communities and things of that nature. So, you know, like you said, shoot your shot. So, all right. Here we go. Do you have a crazy Detroit story? Do I have? I have. There's a lot of crazy Detroit stories. Um, I guess. Uh, I guess I'll go with for my for my favorite crazy Detroit uh, crazy story is that uh, if you've never been here in Michigan, um, famous weekend is obviously Movement uh, Music Festival. Yeah, for sure. It's at Hart Plaza in Detroit. And um, there's a guy who is uh, local. Uh, he's from local. His name is uh, Grant. His musician's his DJ name is Grizz. And he headlined movement. And it was pouring rain. And like everybody was going to leave. And this guy went on stage. And I've never seen a crowd that excited. It was just such a crazy experience and and fun time people were just partying is pouring rain for and this guy played for like an hour and a half and it was night and it was just a, a really cool experience detroit has a very special community it and does. If, once you once you start exploring here and you you live here it's uh you know i like so i moved back out to royal oak um because i lived down here when i worked at quicken and then i bought a house in royal oak and when I lived back out there, I just, it just, I just didn't feel right. I didn't feel like I was at home. No, and, um, I agree. I agree. There's just, uh, there's so much like cool stuff down here. Like last weekend, me and my buddies went over to, there's a place called the spotlight that has uh, some, some good live music and stuff right in the, right in the city. So just a lot of really unique stuff down here, Eastern market, you got, uh, uh, Fat Tuesday coming up. Better believe I'll be in Hamtramck because I live <laughs> right, right across the street from there. So, skis. Oh, yep. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, we got a quick word from our sponsors. Is work or real estate getting you down? Are you feeling burned out or depressed? Well, there's a solution you can use right from the comfort and privacy of your own home computer. Center for Establishing Recovery is Metro Detroit's leading provider for e therapy. If you're in need of a listening ear, contact Center for Establishing Recovery at establishingrecovery.com. Again, that website, establishingrecovery.com. If you have a question or a topic you're interested in having us discuss or are interested in coming on as a guest, advertising, real estate services, or sponsoring an episode, go to brickandmortardetroit.com slash podcast. Nikki, is there anything you'd like to share? Any links, anything you want to promote before we end? This is your time, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, go ahead and uh, follow me on uh, Instagram, which is MTG Science Detroit. And uh, on Facebook, you can follow our company, Mortgage Science. 
posting lots of content about house hacking, et cetera. Um, if you're thinking about uh, getting pre-approved, you know, you can reach out to me directly. Um, my, uh, I'll have, I'll send you my link, Eric, so you can, you can post it. And yeah. um, house hacking wise, I just looked at a house the other week. It's a 2548 Helen Street. It's listed by this guy, Adam Sorica. It's a duplex and uh, there are some motivated sellers. It's a beautiful property. If you guys are motivated by anything we were just talking about, check that out. Go, you know, turn on the multifamily alerts on, on you know, Redfin and the home search websites and uh, good luck. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm, I'm happy to help. And Eric, thanks so much for having me. Greatly appreciated. Um, looking forward to, uh, to hopefully working together more in the future and um, appreciate your time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you for coming on. That information has been great, especially for people who are just kind of starting out and don't really know much about mortgages. It really is something that people are afraid of. Um, and I get it. I mean, I totally get it. It's probably one of the biggest things that you'll do in your life in a way. Um, but anyway, well, that's it for today. You've been listening to the Brick and Mortar Detroit podcast, where we discuss business, real estate, lifestyle, and travel. I'm your host, Eric Andrews, founder and owner of Brick and Mortar Detroit Real Estate Brokerage. I started this podcast for boots on the ground insights from not just one, but as many industry professionals that I could find. As always, don't just dream, build your dream. Follow us on Instagram at brick and mortar BET. For everything else, brickandmortardetroit.com slash podcast. Brick and Mortar Detroit podcasts and newsletters reflect the opinions of only the authors who are associated guests of podcasts and do not reflect the views of Brick and Mortar Detroit LLC or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. They are for informational purposes only and are not a recommendation of an investment strategy or to buy or sell any home, security, or asset in any market. They are also not research reports and are not intended to serve as the basis for any investment decision. Any third-party information provided therein does not reflect the views of Brick and Mortar Detroit LLC or any of their subsidiaries or affiliates. All investments involve risk, including the loss of money, principal, and past market performance does not guarantee future results. We always recommend you enlist a professional entity for any investment decision you may be considering.